John 21, verse 25, puts it this way. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Jesus did what God called him to do. Now it's our turn to do what God has called us to do. And whenever John was wrapping it all up at the end of his biography, John chapter 21, verse 25, by the way, it's out there. It's out there on the wall. How many of you saw this verse is out there on the wall? Because this wasn't just a look at what Jesus did and, and, and you can't write it all into one book. You can't. I, I'm giving you 21 chapters here, but you can't put it all together in one book. Jesus is still working. Jesus is still alive. And many of your sentences... Many of your stories, your testimonies out on that wall after the service, go on out there, read many people's testimony about what Jesus has done in their life. This series, week three of Could Not Contain, is designed to focus us in our walk with Jesus. Week one, we said to set the sails. The Holy Spirit is the wind, Acts chapter 2, and our job is not to be the wind. Our job is not to be the power. Our job is not to be the Holy Spirit. Our job is to get on the boat, get out of the harbor, and to be a, uh, be a part of the crew and to set the sails. And then the wind takes us wherever he would take us. And we're good with that. Sometimes the wind blows hard. Sometimes the wind hardly blows at all. But we're good with it. Wherever the Holy Spirit takes us, we're going to give praise and honor to him. But our job is to set the sails. Week two, last week, we talked about leaning in. Whenever there's a transition or a change in someone's life, our tendency, our human tendency, is to lay low. I'll pass my judgment in a few weeks and see how it all goes down. But I really wasn't talking to the corporate church. I was talking to you personally, you spiritually. Even for me, that was a challenge for me during this busy season of, of making sure everything gets done. There's a tendency even for me to lay low spiritually, to not take steps of faith. To, well, it's summer. I'm not supposed to grow in my faith in the summer. This is the time to take spirituality off, right? And the challenge was if you're going to be here, you might as well give it all you got. And to lean in because at the end of life, many people discover they live their whole life laying low. And they look back and say, I wish I would have leaned in, leaned in with my marriage 30 years ago. I wish I would have leaned in with my kids. I wish I would have leaned in in my Christianity. And now today, let me introduce it to you this way. About three years ago, I did for the first time, I started calorie counting. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> Why, you don't think it went well? <laughs> and it didn't. But I started calorie counting, and, and, and I don't know how much you know about calorie counting, but, but you set a number. You say, I'm, I'm going to, and for me it was 2,000, 2,000 calories a day. Okay, it should have raised the number, but uh, my thing was 2,000 calories a day. And what I discovered in calorie counting was that whenever you start recording what you're bringing in, bringing in, you start discovering that way too many calories are taken with drinks, and condiments, stuff like that. You don't want to waste calories on drinks. And, and my guilty pleasure was sweet tea and lemonade. And those two things are just more proof that God loves us. And all God's people said, amen, yeah. And I thought, man, I don't want to waste, I, I want to use my calories for burgers and steaks and shrimp and stuff like that. So, so I discovered a couple drinks, Coke Zero yeah. amen. and Diet Coke. 
And here's the thing, if, if you don't know about Coke Zero and Diet Coke, they have zero calories. And I said, what a healthy drink. <laughs> that was my reasoning. That was my reasoning as Chelsea rolled her eyes in the living room. <laughs> Your reasoning is so three years old, Nathan. But I thought, man, if they have zero calories, it must be healthy. And so it, just the way I was thinking, I can drink this all day long. And it's healthy for my body, and I'm not wasting any calories on drinks. But then one evening, as I was drinking a Diet Coke, and my stomach was killing me, and I had a headache, I started to think, I wonder what's actually in this. <laughs> because I don't feel very good. <laughs> so I Google, what's in Diet Coke? What's in Coke Zero? And, and I don't, I didn't know how many of you know this. Apparently, artificial sweeteners aren't good. <laughs> And so I, I read some of the symptoms. I started to, 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 to do the research. Artificial sweeteners that are in Diet Coke and Coke Zero is linked to short-term memory loss. They give you a, <laughs> a higher risk of cancer. Those artificial sweeteners in Diet Coke is linked to depression, headaches, an increased risk of diabetes, and I immediately, on my couch in my living room, committed, I, I realized I need to start drinking more water. And I need to cut out the Diet Coke and the Coke Zero. And did you know that there's actually a link between artificial sweeteners that are in Diet Coke and short-term memory loss? <laughs> you guys. I worked on that and prayed that. But for the sake of my health, Really, I, I sat there on my couch and I was convicted. I had a burden. I need to drink more water and less Coke Zero in Diet Coke. And here's, it didn't go very well, but here's what I learned. We all hold fast to convictions we don't live by. And you could all raise your hand today and say, yeah, I've carried a burden that I didn't follow through on. I've been there. I got a question. What was Jesus' great burden? You remember he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Matthew 1, when the angel was talking to Mary, she said, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The great burden of Jesus, the great conviction was that he would take away, he would forgive, he would cleanse us, he would wash away our sins, and aren't we grateful for that? Amen. Churches develop a lot of burdens for a lot of things, don't we? But I, I'm going to give you a little dirty laundry here that we don't advertise very much because we want you to like the church. Churches aren't doing a very good job reaching the lost. I'm just going to tell you that. We're not doing a very, I'm not saying we, but I'm just saying churches in America aren't doing a very good job of reaching the lost. Now, I didn't say we're not doing a good job of putting together a business plan. I didn't say we're not doing a good job of, of putting together a service or, or the common day, modern day technology. I, I, I didn't say we're not doing a good job of strategic planning or leadership training or whatever it may be. I'm, I'm telling you that churches generally aren't doing a good job of reaching the people who aren't here right now. Now, we, we may grow, churches may grow, the numbers may get big, but generally it's because of a depletion of the churches around them. 
We're not, we're not doing a good job of reaching the lost. As a matter of fact, churches have a lot of burdens, and I would say reaching the lost isn't in the top five. So we created a vision here at Venture Christian Church. And here's our vision. Bring people to Jesus, grow people in Jesus, and equip people for Jesus. That's it. That, that didn't come out of nowhere. That didn't come out of a philosophical jargon. That, didn't, that was New Testament study. What were Christians focused on in the New Testament? It was to bring people to Jesus, grow people in Jesus, and equip people for Jesus. That, that was it. And notice what the top one is. Bring people to Jesus. Would you read that vision statement along with me? Bring people to Jesus, grow people in Jesus, equip people for Jesus. That's the burden of venture. Who are you guys? That's who we are. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. I want to introduce you to four men who had a burden. It's a great story. It's a great story. And one of the signs of a great story is when you wish you were there to see it. You wish you were there to see it. And I get that feeling with this story. Let me set the background. It's in a town called Capernaum. It's an old backwoods country hickish redneck town. A lot of hunting and fishing and chopping wood in Capernaum. It's where Peter grew up. Actually, this event today probably took place in Peter's home. We don't know that for sure. Scripture doesn't say that, but it, most scholars say it probably was Peter's house. There's people from town there, but there's also out-of-towners. There's specifically some religious leaders there from out of town. They, they weren't seekers. They were skeptics. They weren't trying to see what was right with Jesus. They were seeing what was wrong with Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, you've probably heard the story before. And you've probably thought, if I was in the same situation, I would have done the same thing. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> oh, I would have done that, Nathan. I would have lowered him through the roof and dug a hole in some... No, you wouldn't have. And no, I wouldn't have. I mean, think about what they were doing. They can't get to Jesus. There's, there's not enough room in the house. So they, so they climb up on a roof and they dig a hole through someone else's house to get their friend to Jesus. Oh, what would it have been like to be there? I want to know. Verse 18, it specifically says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to land before Jesus. Mark tells us it's four men. They're carrying a friend to Jesus. Now, I... I was just thinking about this. I don't think the paralyzed man was very happy about this. I don't think he was thrilled about this day's field trip. There's no doubt that they had tried many other things to get this man healed. Oh, today we're taking me to a house where this man named Jesus is. That's what we're doing today. And here's specifically what the paralyzed man, paralytics didn't like to be in big crowds at that time, especially religious crowds, because religious crowds back then would point a finger and say, you're paralyzed because of your sin or your parents' sin. So they would cast judgment. They would cast condemnation. They didn't want to be around the religious leaders because the second this man walks, not walking, carried into the room, there's going to be condemnation. There's going to be judgment. And so these friends don't seem like they care. No, we're, we're going to bring you to Jesus no matter what. We're going. We're heading to the house. 
It's packed. They're trying to get in. They can't get in. The doors are shut. The windows are closed. We don't give any appearance here that anybody tried to help them get to Jesus. And so one of them, Jim Bob, <laughs> said, look at, look at that. There's a shovel over there against the neighbor's house. I got an idea. Oh, Jim, what are you, what, what? Go get that shovel, and we're going to climb up on the roof, and we're going to dig a hole in the middle of this roof and lower our friend to Jesus. Uh, Jim? And I think it's at this point in the story we realize that we are likely dealing with an LSU fan. <laughs> Who thinks like that other than an LSU fan? I mean, this is straight redneck hillbilly type of thinking. And, and it got me thinking. It got me thinking. Some of the old boys, some of the good old boys that would maybe help me if, if, if I was paralyzed and I started thinking of the leadership here at Venture Christian Church and, and there's a website that specifically gives you a redneck name. If, if you type in someone's name, it generates a new redneck name for that person. So I thought of Doug Songer. He'd be on the roof with me and it came up with this. Enos Beaver would be his name. Yeah. And I thought of... Two of our elders, Jay Jones, I typed in his name. His redneck name is Billy Bob Jackson. <laughs> and I think Billy Bob Jackson has a Fu Manchu. There is no, I just, Billy Bob Jackson. And I typed in Ken Bandy, one of our other elders. Clint Ray was his name, is what this, that sounds like a country singer. Ken can't sing. <laughs> then I typed in George Newton. George and Kirk Drummond are, are doing leadership training. Bo Cornholler is George Newton's name. That, Bo? Bo. That didn't even look right. Sorry, George. And then I typed in Kirk Drummond, and it said Bubba Beaver. And I thought, wait a minute, is he related to Enos Beaver? And then I realized, no, everybody's related. That's the whole point of the situation. And so I want you to know today that the future of this church is bright with leaders like this. And if I ever hear any of you call one of our leaders' names by the name of Bubba Beaver, I'm going to be so happy with you. And I want you to know that. But the point of this, I went off a little bit there. The point of this is that they did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. They did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. They were willing to do whatever it took to make it happen. The title of this sermon is Getting Diggy With It. Not getting jiggy with it. Getting diggy with it. Na, 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 na. Hey. And I may be the wrong guy for that, but they were, they were willing to dig a hole through a roof to get their friend to Jesus. And God is challenging us today to get diggy with it. And I know that's, that's funny and that's humorous. God's challenging us today to get diggy with it. Are you willing to grab a shovel and dig a hole through a roof to get someone to Jesus? Verse 19, it says this, this is often overlooked when they could not find a way. And here's a question we all need to wrestle with. When you can't find a way, what do you do? When nothing you're doing is working, what do you do? There's a couple things you could do. You could go back home. You could say, well, we brought them to the house, but it, it didn't, didn't work today, so let's just go back home. We tried, but then for the rest of your life, you're gonna look at your friend and say, oh, I wish we would have tried harder. Or you could say, well, there's always another day. 
We'll try again later. I'm sure Jesus is going south. I hear he's going south. We'll go to the next town. We'll try to get there a little bit earlier. Nathan says, arrive early, leave late. We'll, we'll try to get there a little bit earlier. We'll just try again later. But if the last year and a half has taught us anything, we don't always have later. You could say, well, this is too embarrassing. We're not, we're not gonna dig a hole through a roof. It'll draw too much attention. We'll always be known as the guys who dug a hole through the roof. I'm not willing to be embarrassed to bring a friend to Jesus. Or somebody's probably gonna say it's too expensive. Is it really worth, I mean, who, who's gonna pay for the hole in the roof? Is it really worth that to bring one person to Jesus? What do you do when nothing seems to work? And here's what the answer is, according to scripture, you dig the roof, amen? You grab a shovel, you go up on the roof, and you start digging. This isn't for the church, this is for me, it's for my wife. We are committed to do whatever it takes to bring the next person to Jesus Christ. That's it. And sometimes ministry can get in the way of that. That sounds weird. But we're not gonna do that here. We're not doing that at Venture Christian Church. And sometimes it's gonna be expensive. I get it. And sometimes it's gonna be embarrassing. And sometimes when I get past on the sidewalk, there he is. He's probably gonna invite us to church. That's fine. And sometimes it's gonna interrupt our regularly scheduled program. And sometimes it'll be uncomfortable, but we wanna set the sails. We wanna let the Holy Spirit go where he may go. And we're gonna lean in and we're gonna give it all we have, no matter how much time we have on earth, 40 years, 50, 80, 90, we're gonna give it all that we have and we are going to dig the roof, period. And this is a message to get us focused on that. Now, what does that mean? We're gonna try some things at this church that maybe we never tried before. And we're gonna stop some things that may have, I mean, they may just be getting in the way of bringing somebody to Jesus. And it looks like it's working, but we may end up stopping some things. We may run into a situation that we don't know what to do next. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna go grab a shovel and we're gonna do whatever we can to bring the next person to Jesus. So let me give you some examples. Next Sunday is grand opening, but what's involved with grand opening? We're gonna have bounce houses and face painting and picture booths and all the food you can eat, and we're gonna throw the kitchen sink at it. And ju just so you know, it's taken a lot of organization by our event team, and it's taking a lot of money. It's taking a lot of money. But if one person comes to Jesus, it's worth it. Amen. And that's why we're doing it. September 10th, it's coming up. September 10th, it's a Friday night. We're gonna have a movie night. You like this screen? Pretty cool screen. Kind of goes on and off when I'm preaching. I can tell behind me. But pretty cool screen. We're gonna use it for movies. And so Friday night, we're gonna serve this community. We're gonna have a movie night for the kiddos. And we're gonna, and for some people, for some people, they're so nervous to come into church, they'll never come in here on a Sunday morning, but they may come in here on a Friday night to watch a movie and that may break down a barrier for them to come in here on a Sunday morning where they can meet Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. In October, we're going to have trunk or treat. We're going to fill that parking lot that how many of you saw? It's starting to get laid. It got, started to get laid yesterday. So we're going to serve the communities with a trunk or treat. December 24th, that evening is a Friday night. It's Christmas Eve, December 24th. We're going to have Christmas Eve services in this building. In the spring, we're going to have a barbecue cook-off. 
Who's that for? That's actually for me. It's not for the lost people. I just wanted... I just wanted barbecue. Now, the real reason for that, when you reach men, you reach the family. And what reaches men the most? Meat. (laughs) But we're going to try things. We're going to try things. We're going to try things. And if it doesn't work, we're going to dig and we're going to dig and we're going to dig for the sake of one person to come to Jesus Christ. So here's my question. Who do you visualize yourself as in this story? When you hear this story, who are you? I'd like to say I'm one of the friends. I'd like to say that. I'm ashamed to say I've actually been the religious leader before, pointing a finger and being a skeptic. I've been that guy. But more times than not, I'm probably part of the crowd. Who's the crowd? The crowd are the people sitting with their back to the front door, ignoring the people outside the building for the sake of their experience inside the building. There's people out there trying to get in, but we don't even let them get in because we're so worried about the experience inside that we forget about the people outside. You're with me. This happens all the time to Christians. Just look at what Christians get mad at. All you got to do is get on social media. Have you ever seen a Christian mad on social media? It's why I got off of social media. (laughs) And their frustration is never for lost people coming to know the Lord. It's we got to keep things intact in here while they are never getting to know the broken people out there. And this happens to churches when the churches get so caught up on what's inside the house that they turn their back on those outside the house and they say, to hell with the rest of you. And that can't be us. We have to be a church that's willing to dig through roofs to bring people to Jesus. What do you think the crowd might have started saying when the particles in the ceiling started to come down? What in the world? Hey, you're not part of the program. We spent hours detailing this program. You're not in the service. You think somebody started to say that? Hey, what about this mess? I'm not cleaning this mess up. I didn't make it. I'm not on rotation this week. I'm not cleaning the mess up. My last house didn't do it this way. This wasn't what we did in the house I grew up in. Or I bet somebody in the crowd rolled their eyes and said, let me guess, millennials. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I can't get away from this fact. This was all done for one person. Hmm. What this means for us as a church is we're gonna leverage all of us We're going to leverage the full force of the church for the sake of one. Verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Don't miss this. There's no celebration that his sins were forgiven. How crazy is that? They were just pointing fingers. Hey, you can't forgive his sins. Why not celebrate? that his sins are forgiven. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now Jesus knows in the scheme of things, being paralyzed is bad. In those days, no government assistance. In those days, no wheelchairs. It was the end of your life. If you were paralyzed, you were bad. But Jesus knew there's something worse than being paralyzed. That is not having your sins forgiven. 
And we wake up day after day and we're mad that God isn't addressing our issue. And the issue he's actually trying to address is the more important issue, which is the issue of our sins. We think he's not addressing the big issues. God sees what the big issue actually is. And in verse 24, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and watch this and go where? Go home. We're going to come back to that. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I wish I would have been there. I wish I could have been there. Jesus told him to go home. Now listen, church, listen. Why did he tell him to go home? Shouldn't he have said, I'm on point number three of my sermon. You wait this out, listen to the rest. Or shouldn't he say, go out into the streets and tell everybody. No, he says, go home. Why did he tell him to go home? Because Jesus knows all things. And Jesus knew this man's situation. And Jesus would have known how amazing it was going to be when this man walked into his home and said, mom, dad, God's not mad at us. Jesus has done a remarkable thing this day. Wow. Now go home and tell your mom and dad. This is a story of one man, one person. This is not a celebration of 483 people. Just catch this. God celebrates the one. God celebrates the one. You, you have a one. Here, here's my question. Who's your one? Who's your one? You have a one. You may have two, three, or four, but, but I promise you God gave you a one. It may not be a paralytic, but who would you dig through a roof for for Jesus? To give it some perspective, take a look at this video. Stop me if you've heard this one. You grow up, you graduate high school, you attend the best college you can get into, and a few years later you graduate again. You marry the perfect girl and move into a small character-building apartment. Over the next couple of years, you had a house, a dog, and two-ish children. A perfect start to a picket fence life. Time begins to roll by, your kids grow up, you get involved at your church just like you're supposed to do. And sure, you have opportunities to engage more with the outside world, but it's hard enough to balance your job, church, wife, and two-ish kids. Your life continues speeding along, your children grow up and make you a grandfather. Eventually, you retire and start spending a little too much time in Florida, but it's okay to relax. After two generations, you've impacted the eight lives in your family. Finally, at the end of it all, the Lord calls you home. And it was a good life, right? Work, family, church, because whichever order you put them in, that's all there is, right? What would happen if we shook up that formula? Imagine if we went out of our way to engage with our world, coworkers, neighbors, old friends, and not just engage, disciple. Imagine if we took one year and discipled one person from our world, took a year and truly shared the message of love, salvation, and freedom in Christ to that one person. And what if inside that year that person started to follow Jesus? But let's not stop there. What if the next year that person began to disciple someone else and you did the same thing and two more people came to know Christ? And what if you did this year after year, person after person, and each of them picked one person year after year, and each of them, and each of them. If this kept going for 30 years, that would mean that 1,073,741,824 people could hear the gospel. That's a little more than eight. The thing is, it's not a joke. 
and it's not a gimmick. Most importantly, it's not impossible. It's one person boldly making a commitment to bringing one other person to Christ. And it all starts by asking the question, who's your one? R.C. Kyle once said, no true Christian goes to heaven alone. So who's your one? And God knew that the whole world wouldn't go to church. Some of the world would go to church, but he knew that the whole world wouldn't go to the church. So he didn't say, hey, world, go to the church. He said, church, go to the whole world. Don't forget this. It was Jesus who saved this man, not his friends. It's not your job to save someone. It's our job to bring him to Jesus. It's our job to take the one, our one, and bring him to the one who can save everyone. Strange truth, when we talk about evangelism or sharing our faith, both Christians and non-Christians get tense. We both agree we don't like talking about it. <laughs> but you know what's true? Every one of us in here is thinking about somebody today who we'd love to see come to Christ, amen? We have a family member, a friend, a coworker, teammate. We would love to see them come to Christ. But so often when we talk about sharing our faith, we talk about it as an obligation. I believe it's a privilege. We talk about it like it's a hardship. It, it's a joy to tell people what Jesus has done for us. And so in your seats this morning, there should be two invite cards. We're asking you to invite two people this week, face to face, mouth to mouth. It would make my day for you to be here next Sunday. Two people. A young man in the church last week, I loved hearing this story, he grabbed his two and then he saw a chair empty next to him, so he grabbed those two and he, he has four, he, he made a list. I got four people. I'm inviting two on grand opening. I did some research. There are some churches reaching lost people, I want you to know that. And one of the churches who's doing it the best is actually a church in Las Vegas of all places. Central Christian Church. Prostitutes, strippers, Elvis impersonators are coming to Christ. The preacher's name there is Judd Wilhite. They are baptizing over a thousand people per year in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. Isn't that cool? And you would say, oh, I bet Judd Wilhite was made for this in the womb of his mother. He was just made for this kind of a ministry. Wrong. He was a messed up, drugged out, confused teenager when he walked into Paramount Terrace Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas one day, and a man by the name of Roy Wheeler made Judd Wilhite his one. Because once upon a time, Roy Wheeler was a messed up, confused, drugged out teenager. When Walter Goodman made Roy Wheeler his one. And now Judd is being used in a ministry that is bringing thousands of people to Christ every year because Roy made Judd his one and Walter made Roy his one and somebody made Walter his one. When you look back at your life, what will matter most is the impact you had on your ones. And I mean that. I mean it. So I wish I could have been there that day. And I start to wonder, is there a house like that around here? Is there a house 
like that around here where I could have some friends who's willing to grab a shovel and dig a hole through a roof to get one to Jesus? Do you, do you know of a house like that? Is there a house around here where the paralyzed, paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by their past sin, paralyzed by their past addictions, paralyzed by guilt, paralyzed by shame, is there a house around here that people can come to to meet Jesus? Wouldn't you love to be a part of a house like that? I would.